You're listening to Work Tape, episode 82. Welcome to another edition of the Work Tape podcast. It's your boy, Money Mitchell, Isaac Groove and Grover, as usual. And uh, we're going to be continuing a little bit of a series that we didn't really plan on starting this series, but it kind of ended up developing into a series, which is kind of the dynamic of technology and its role in music and kind of how technology and music will influence each other and kind of play off of each other. And uh, the last couple episodes, we really focused in a lot in regards to the prominence of AI technologies, especially in the form of songwriting um, and music making, but also the use of AI and technology to resurrect you know, the dead in regards to iconic musicians who had passed away. But now we're going to be talking a lot about sampling because so much of modern day music making is revolved around sampling in one way or another, whether it's an homage, um, whether they are, you know, kind of replaying the sample or if they're directly taking it and just putting some drums and, and bass and flipping it into something completely different. Sampling is really overtaken as the main form of creative expression, I feel, as I've seen in a lot of producers and a lot of music makers, whether it be the bedroom producers or whether it be, you know, producers that you're hearing right now on radio or who are Grammy nominated. And so sampling is kind of a, a relatively recent phenomenon. So uh, in order to really give this topic its justice, we kind of have to take a bit of a step back in the time machine. And uh, one of the earliest mainstream uses of sampling was as I mentioned in an earlier episode, uh, found with the use of the Mellotron on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band by the Beatles. If you needed any more evidence of the Beatles' influence on music, once again, they have kind of one of the main uses of sampling through the Mellotron, which was basically a, a keyboard that was meant to emulate like string players, I believe. But it ended up using early digital recordings of these different like string players and create this really interesting sound and the track that you find it on is uh, strawberry fields forever um the intro of strawberry fields forever kind of has the mellotron right out in front it kind of gives it that like ethereal uh psychedelic kind of quality almost kind of low fidelity too actually it's pretty lo-fi yeah it's really cool I like that sound a lot. I mean, that song gets kind of overdone with the Mellotron because everyone tries to play it on YouTube. Oh, yes. But it's still really cool. Yes, d definitely. It's, it is one of those ones where it's not quite as bad as going into the guitar center and playing Stairway to Heaven on the guitar. Not quite as bad. You know, it's crazy. I was able to, and maybe I just didn't notice. To my knowledge, I was able to avoid hearing that song every time I went to a guitar center. I don't think I've ever heard that in a guitar center, but that's okay. Well, I guess you're, you know, one of the fortunate few. Literally one of the few, because everyone tells me, yeah, it's always that one. Like, really? Because I always hear Smoke on Water. I never could not hear that song growing up. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, Smoke on the Water, um, Seven Nation Army. Yeah, that one too. Those two for sure. Kind of like any entry-level power chord-based rock song you're going to find in... Uh, guitar center. I even managed to avoid 
smells like teen spirit like forever too yeah no i haven't i haven't really heard that one either <laughs> i always managed to avoid that mm-hmm. but smoke on water was one i always heard people playing growing up oh yeah definitely and actually oddly enough you, if you want to kind of uh go full circle into this Correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Led Zeppelin get sued over Stairway to Heaven for kind of basically ripping off and or potentially kind of sampling? I'm 99% positive that there was a lawsuit in relation to that one track for sure, because uh, Led Zeppelin have had a reputation for that. I mean, I'm not saying anything new here, but yeah, apparently they were one of the big people that people went after. Right. And then it's funny because of Greta Van Fleet basically sampling, borrowing, ripping off from Led Zeppelin. It's totally different. That's the weird thing is people get weird about Greta Van Fleet and they're like, oh, well, they're no different than every other band, you know, copying from bands before. And it's funny because, duh, of course, every, okay, every flipping artist and band to this day and of all time has taken from influences before them. That's normal. Artists don't just come out of the blue with a 100% original idea. That really doesn't work that way. The reason why Greta Van Fleet is totally different than Led Zeppelin and also people today who are in the cachet of Greta Van Fleet where, where I'll explain, they are ripping off artists from like 30, 40 plus years. And that's where they become a nostalgia act. That's where they become a throwback. That's where they kind of become... Nothing that original because it's more original to take from artists from your time. Hmm. And here's the thing. Of course, you're going to take from artists like we can still be influenced by Beethoven and come up with something super cool. I mean, I'm not saying we're not ever influenced by artists from like hundreds of years before us. Right. But the issue is throwback and nostalgic artists are, in my opinion, really lame because the majority of their style is from older artists. It's not even from people like today. Hmm or the past 10, 20 years. Right. Because the past 10, 20 years is still modern. That's more or less modern. Of course, like 20 is not as modern as 10, but 20 is way different than 30 plus. Yeah. And so that's why Greta Van Fleet, like that's why they sound like your dad's music because they're not doing, like, do we need another band that sounds like Led Zeppelin? I mean, think about it. Since the 70s, we've been having so many bands that probably did that sound. Oh, yeah. So when Greta Van Fleet comes and does it, like, okay, you guys are 40 years too late? Yeah. And I guess the thing with GVF is that they weren't even really the best band to replicate the Led Zeppelin sound. That adds insult to injury. Yeah, I I would actually say that, like, Wolf Mother was a better, like... Yes, you're right. Just because I felt like the riffs hit a little harder and they still made it modern enough to where I was kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm, you know... You didn't have a situation where, like, with the GDF tracks, I'm like, oh, wow, that Led Zeppelin bootleg sounds really interesting. Team Impala, a little bit too much in that area for me, honestly, to really appreciate him. But even he makes it sound more modern than Greta Van Fleet. Oh, yeah. So there's that, right? (laughs) Or Flaming Lips. Flaming Lips did the same thing. They took a lot of psychedelic acts. And again, I'm not huge on them. Yeah. But, you know, they did it better. Like, in many ways, I think Tame Impala ripped a lot from Flaming Lips, but that's just oh, me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would say that um, <laughs> Flaming Lips and, of course, the Beatles, you can't help but hear, like, John Lennon and, like, the vocal styles. Um, totally. Like, um, what is it, King uh, King Gizzard or... or um, King Gizzard yeah. and a Lizard Wizard? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like any of those kind of like real heavy psychedelic 60s through the 70s. I mean, like you can sense a lot of that in Kevin's music. But I do think that he still does enough different and enough modern to where yes. I don't lump him in a nostalgia act, especially because of his influence in hip hop, actually, to where that's a big part of it. Yeah where a lot of hip-hop artists have claimed him as one of their favorite artists. And he's worked directly with Travis Scott and, you know, uh, ASAP Rocky and, you know, whatnot. So I think he does get in that territory, but I think you're right for the most part. I do think that he he's probably one of the best examples of someone who could be accused for it. Yeah. Whether it's right or not, right? But he can be accused for it, but he also separates himself from those people who get accused for it as well. Like he does his own thing. And Kevin's pretty fantastic at that, to say the least. Yeah, no, Kevin's incredible. With King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard, um, that's the weird thing. Like when it comes to artists like that, do they get a pass when they're that skilled? Because I think they're great. I think they're fantastic. But my ear gets tired listening to a lot of their music because, hmm. again, I've worn it out listening to King Crimson and a lot of prog rock from the 70s and my ear just gets tired i see you, you kind of hear a lot of the same types of things same types of production elements got yeah, it yeah because they're really good like they're fantastic but i can't remember if all of their songs sound super throwbacky but i just feel like it gets to a point where like you know i'm just gonna be honest you know like zoomers <laughs> you know they're like oh yeah see music is not dead today and it's like sure but oh the music, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? They're like, oh, yeah, these are one of our best bands. Like, yeah, but like a lot of these bands today, with the exception of like, because Black Midi kind of does the same thing. But Black Midi is, I think, a little bit more future focused because mm -hmm. prog rock is cool. I think it should evolve. But a lot of these guys have kind of went back to the 70s. And it's I guess I love the 70s. It's one of my favorite decades for music. I think it's fantastic. But then it gets to the point where I'm like, ah, I, I just like I said, my ear gets tired listening to it. And I'm like, well, I understand why people are saying they're good. Mm -hmm. But if all they're saying is, oh, they're really good because they play music that is respectable, then I can agree with them. But if they're talking about like, oh, this is really good, as in this is something inspiring or fresh or whatever new or at least something forward thinking and evolving, then I can't say yes to that. Gotcha. The, the issue with rock is more so the community, not even the genre. Mm. The genre is fine. Who cares? The genre does what the genre does. People just make the genre. They do the genre. The problem is the community of the people who supposedly love the genre are like, oh, well, that's rock, but that's not rock. You know, we get into the labels, which actually I think labels are appropriate. I just think we're misusing them because they'll say, well, that's not rock. Rock is from Led Zeppelin. And like, yeah, but... Genres are hyper-dependent on the rhythm or the meter or the drums. Yeah. So you can put, I don't know, Dave Grohl in a kit, and if Kurt was playing a piano, it's still rock music. Oh, yeah. That's still rock music. Oh, sure. I mean, you have, like, something in the way that kind of has, like, that kind of flavor to it a little bit. Not piano, but guitar, but still, like, a very stripped-back you know, rock does not equal distortion necessarily. No, it doesn't. I mean, Elton John is rock. Yeah, of course. There are different types of rock, but it's still rock nonetheless. And so absolutely too many people today and the Zoomers are kind of doing it because they kind of pick on boomers a lot. Yeah. But the weird thing is like a lot of Zoomers are doing the same thing what boomers are doing. They're like, oh, well, rock is psychedelic and that's it. 
Mm. And I'm like, no, there are so, or it's either psychedelic or it's grunge. Yeah. And I just, I feel like that is such a limiting mm. way to put rock. You know, it limits it way too much when there are, what, a billion different subcategories of rock and roll? Yeah, definitely. No, I, I definitely see where you're coming from. Rock and jazz are kind of similar in the sense where people oversimplify them. Yeah, well, you kind of have people who will claim that both of those genres are dead, but then when you really get down to it, it's their like specific version of the genre that's dead. Like jazz has been an ever evolving thing too. People have said that jazz is dead for the longest time. Well, no, what's dead is maybe kind of more of the straight ahead sound that you maybe grew up with. Like West Coast jazz, bebop, Dixieland. Yeah, or, you know, the straight ahead stuff, you know, not everything is going to sound like Miles Davis or John Coltrane. And it shouldn't. It shouldn't. And so, you know, nowadays you have jazz and hip hop kind of influence and you have, you know, stuff like Robert Glasper. You have um, you have Denzel Curry. I think Snarky Puppy counts. Snarky Puppy, yes. Yeah. All of that. You know, you have just great, you know, jazz fusion now more where the spirit and the chords and the structure of jazz is very much alive, but it's just being incorporated in a in a different way. And actually, that kind of brings me back to kind of the conversation of sampling as well, in the sense that, of course, hip hop was the genre that was completely birthed around sampling. Basically, the story goes in 77 in New York City, there was a huge power outage, a huge blackout of uh, power across the city. And what ended up happening was in neighborhoods, music stores actually got broken into and people took a lot of this higher end equipment, samplers, turntables, and basically compiled them together. And then afterwards, you know, kind of what uh, was, you know, birthed as hip hop, which is, you know, a lot of disco breaks, disco records, usually the 12 inch because it had that like instrumental section. And then uh, they would basically gather in, you know, parks and public places and, you know, do ciphers and kind of bounce rhymes off of these disco breaks. And really with hip hop from 1978, 79, all the way up to like pretty much like the mid, mid to late nineties in terms of sampling, it was the wild west. And really clearance, what is that, you know, in regards to the the time? There was a lot of uncleared samples that were basically going on. And so that's kind of a big thing in regards to kind of what made, you know, sampling and hip hop so big today. But also, you know, it's when you in the late mid to late 90s, of course, in a good it's a very good thing that they put parameters in place in order to make sure that if somebody was sampled, that they were going to get proper compensation. But in a way, the obstacles of sample clearance can sometimes stifle creativity as well, to a certain extent, because um, you have, you know, albums that have like not been released or have had difficulty releasing because of sample clearance. And even, you know, big artists now are still having issues in regards to sample clearance, like Beyonce's last record. Um, which is up for a ton of Grammys, rightfully so. But because she borrowed so much and sampled so heavily from all of these dance records, 
even she's having some difficulty in regards to sample clearance, but hip hop and jazz and rock, I guess as well, um, have all kind of utilized sampling. And I think that is kind of what has made those genres evolve and puts it into the modern times. Sampling, I feel like, and that kind of choppiness and, and whatnot is kind of our generation's trademark, I guess, more so than I think it really ever has been. Just because with the accessibility of, you know, samplers such as, you know, the MPC and just in terms of how easy and accessible it is for people to sample, it's definitely something that is bringing that style of production more to the forefront. So, but yeah, it's jazz and rock kind of fall under that same cap. And yeah, actually even hip hop too, is that, you know, people claim, oh, the genre is dead. Yep. They're doing exactly what their parents were saying. Yeah. It's the same thing. Oh, because all hip hop doesn't sound like nineties boom bap, real hip hop is dead. Oh, because all rock music doesn't sound like ACDC or <laughs> um, something. Uh, okay, all rock music is dead. Oh, because jazz doesn't sound like Thelonious Monk, jazz is dead. Like that whole kind of mindset also is something that I think can get in the way of creativity. And it has gotten in the way. Because now people aren't thinking outside of the box, which is exactly what those people that they're saying, well, people don't sound like them anymore. It's like, yes, but these people that you supposedly worship also had to break outside of the mold of their time. Right. I think Miles Davis himself even had a quote where he said something about uh, the hardest thing to do is actually to sound like yourself. Amen. Like, it's really easy to sound like, you know, your influences or to really wear them on your sleeve. but. The hardest thing and the thing that'll like differentiate you is sounding like yourself. And I find that like a very poignant quote, like especially for those of you out there listening who are actively making music, I would say that's some really good advice and a really good quote to kind of reference. And then of course, with kind of samples and whatnot, so many of what's been hitting Billboard, um, especially from a lot of like these female rappers um, like Coyle Ray or Lotto is samples, heavy samples. Um, I think Coyle Ray's song, Players, uh, samples that Grandmaster Flash song. And then Lotto samples the Mariah Carey song, which was a sample of a Tom Tom Club song. So once again, in regards to not thinking outside of the box, as you said, I tend to see it a little bit more reflected in the charts too, where some of the biggest songs are basically just these kind of newer rhymes spit over these very familiar beats and these very familiar samples. And the thing with sampling is actually, I think sampling is really cool. I think sampling can put you on to a lot of great music. So much of the music that actually I was put on to came from other people sampling it, saying, oh, that sounds really good. I wonder what that is. You know, but also I think it's just how creative you are with the sample. If you really are surgical with it and are really able to piece it together and flip it and really create something entirely new, like a, a Jay Dilla or a Ninth Wonder would do. Or if you do kind of take a loop and just cycle it through, at least have it be something that isn't already worn out. You know what I mean? 
so many of the issues I've had with sampling is really in regards to people using the same samples, like the same drum breaks. How many times have I heard the use me drum break from Bill Withers? Like probably because it was screaming use me. So a lot of people used it. Wow. I mean, you want to hit the nail on the head in terms of like taking a title literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, use me indeed. They used your drum break everywhere. It's like one of the most sampled drum breaks of all time. And it's a good drum break, but I'm just like, I'm I'm tired of hearing it. Like I was saying, I mean, I'm not saying this music is, it's good music. It's just overdone. Right. You know how many times I've seen someone write like, yeah, but you know, this is derivative. It's been overused, right? But then we'll have like these Grammy nominated albums and stuff like that, or someone really popular. Mm. And people will just like, all of a sudden, like they're much harsher with smaller artists. Sure. But when it's like a bigger artist, it's like, oh yeah, this is amazing. It's groundbreaking. And I'm like, no, it's not. This is just rehashed garbage from the last 30, 40 years. Like it's nothing new. Right. Don't give someone a pass just because like, I can't stand that, that we feel that we have to baby people. If something is hyper derivative, then just say it. Right. It's not a bad criticism. Remember, criticism's good because it pushes us to do better. Yeah. Or what the very least criticism does is it validates someone's opinion. It's just an opinion. Right. Even if it's educated, it's still an opinion. So you can't tell someone that, oh, you got to like this. No, if they don't like it and they can tell you why they don't like it, then let them. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Um, you brought up a really interesting point in regards to kind of like hypocrisy a little bit and double standards with smaller artists kind of getting raked through the coals for using a certain sample. But then say, I don't know, um, The weekend comes out and does a big sample based track and people say it's, you know, the best thing. And granted, one of my favorite weekend tracks is entirely based off of a sample. Out of Time is based off of a city pop sample from Japan. The song is Midnight Pretenders. But once again, kind of going into to my point and kind of to wrap it up, really, it's not the art of sampling or the art of taking a loop and building something around it and having that be the basis of your track because there's tons of songs that that I love that are basically the same loop over and over again. It's what you do with it. In the case of The Weeknd, I mean, it's just such a well-written song. There's such good vocals and good production on it that I don't mind that it's a loop and it's like the same thing over and over again. But when I have you know, the case of artists where it is the same loop over and over again, and they're not really doing anything that extraordinary lyrically or like melodically um, over the top of it, then that's when I'm kind of like, eh, this is pretty lazy. And is this kind of just an easy cash grab at this point? And like kind of an, a somewhat lazy way to get like a number one hit because you can kind of bank off of the nostalgia of people. So um, that's kind of an interesting point to wrap it up with. And um, speaking of original material and original compositions, uh, the next episode is really going to be dedicated a lot to this emerging market and this kind of new way of producing where you have so many of these producers who are purposefully making sample packs to sound like old school samples. And they're doing it in a way to get around a lot of the sample clearance issues that I mentioned before. And I actually think it's a pretty great thing. And I think it's something that I definitely want to see more of. 
because I do think that number one, it creates an excellent opportunity for producers to get their music placed and to get it to the next level. But I think it also works well for artists because they're able to kind of give their music that sampled feel without so many of the obstacles that come with traditional uses of sampling. And then number three, I think there's just a lot more originality in that since they are original compositions that are meant to sound old, as opposed to just older compositions that you're flipping to try to make sound new. Uh, But we'll get into that a little bit more in the next episode. It's been your boy, Money Mitchell, Isaac Rubin Grover. Uh, Stay hydrated, y'all, and tune into the next Work Tape Podcast. Peace. Peace.